facing the courts and prosecutors and defense You're attorneys. Listening to the legal and sometimes we look at issues that we couldn't have predicted that we would be looking at. So today we have, want to welcome attorney Bob Mitchell. He's a partner in the Stratford-based law firm of Mitchell and Sheenan. Bob is one of the best-known labor and employee attorneys in the state. Welcome. And he's been selected as one of Connecticut's top super lawyers. So well, thank you. Not necessary to say that, but it's probably not true. But thank probably you. not true. But we'll we'll go with it at least in 2017. Oh, okay. Boy. Okay. I'll live with it. <laughs> okay. Today's topic is uh, so. First of all, welcome, Bob, to the Legal Eagle. Thank, thank you for you. being with us for today. Um, today's topic is timely, and it is one that will continue to make headlines in 2018. Bob is here today to discuss the workplace and sexual harassment, what people can do about it, how they should proceed. It's a long, interesting, fascinating topic that has really come to be into being right now. Um, well, at least it's making headlines now, right? Yes, it's making headlines now. It's been around for a long time. Okay, so let's talk about um, it being around for a long time. From tell, tell us, from your perspective, how long it's been around and how silent it's been or what you have sensed about it. Well, let's see. I think I tried my first sex harassment case about 1981 or 82. Mm -hmm. In Connecticut? No, that was actually tried in Tennessee. Tennessee. Oh, interesting. And handled a number of cases in Louisiana where I practiced law for many years. But, uh -huh. but it, it's been around at least since that time, since the 70s and 80s is when it really started. But it was pretty much a discreet legal issue and still is to a large degree. Mm -hmm. It hadn't developed the public the public issue until the right. last few months. Although in the past we had that episode with um, President Clinton and his aide and, mm -hmm. and Paula Jones, I think was her name. It was Paula Jones, yes, and she and there was another to, one. Yeah, and Monica, uh, but her Monica, Monica was yes. Monica. That was the aide, but there was, mm -hmm. one, there was a third one. I can't remember mm -hmm. the name anymore. Mm -hmm. So the, it's been around for quite a while. Right, and for that some sort reason, of, all of a sudden, it's hit a critical mass. Yeah, it hit a critical mass, and it. Um, it may have been, the Times was the one that first broke, the New York Times broke the story, uh, and they, about with Harvey Weinstein, and, um, you know, the, a major film producer, and then it sort of spread with Me Too, that hashtag, yes. <clears throat> and the Me Too went, you know, worldwide, so to speak, uh, and then it enveloped businessmen and congressmen, and it even this week got to the Federal Appeals Court in um, in the California, answer. right? Um, so we'll get to that in a minute. So, um, when you're, you, you do employment law. Yes. Now, how would, historically, let's start with that. How would you compare what's going on now with prior issues, uh, pri prior times? Well, I think that the sex harassment issue has more popular spread mm -hmm. appeal mm -hmm. than some of the previous things that I've dealt with. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the, the the racial issues were important mm -hmm. thirty years ago, right? But frankly, they have faded faded from the public mind a little bit, at least in the employment field. Maybe not so much in police cases, right? But with the employment area, uh, racial issues have faded from the public mind. They still are there, mm, right? Uh, sex sex discrimination in general, for instance, gender discrimination, mm -hmm. pregnancy pregnancy discrimination, etc., have never really taken off like this, but. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like years ago, a, a newspaper reporter told me the the big subjects are sex, violence, and fires. For some reason, it used to be wine, women, and wampum. No, well, maybe that was he said sex, violence, and fires. And I think that 
the Harvey Weinstein story was <laughs> so offensive to so many people right. that it has it has been the, the germinator for a whole block of these things coming mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and to some degree, people just are interested in that kind of stuff. It's the classic, you know, Julius Caesar and Cleopatra problem. Right. It's, well, sex sells. Sex sells. Right. And that's the big point. <laughs> and it sells a lot more than, than pay equity does. <laughs> so your law firm deals with uh, sex harassment cases. And uh, would you say that you've seen an upsurge in the last month or so or two months? Or how, what's the tenor out there? <clears throat> we mm. have seen, mm. we've had some complaints. It's starting mm. a little bit. It, mm. There's going to be a lag time for us in mm-hmm. several months. Mm. Right. But yes, we have had a couple come in. <clears throat> more than usual mm-hmm. but we generally have a number of harassment cases mm-hmm. come in every few weeks now you have to distinguish there's also just general harassment which is mm-hmm. not based on sex mm-hmm. we right. have a lot of those mm-hmm. too they just aren't there's nothing we can do about those for the most part but right right the sex harassment <clears throat> is more interest being displayed I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um uh when you look at how other um we were talking before you we, we started the program mm-hmm. about how different parts of government and and other aspects are deal with this. So, for example, we had the situation with Al Franken <clears throat> with the Cong- with, with senator, mm-hmm. and um, it seems to me that what we're uncovering, looking on just beyond the world for a moment of of, of business har- and sex harassment, is um, the fact that many agencies and governments attitudes they, they don't have a they don't have a process so all of a sudden al franken is gone well they had a they have a process in the senate which would be the uh, ethics investigation the other, but, yeah but they didn't let him finish the, it that's right but the public <clears throat> has somehow taken the position the process doesn't matter i heard one commentator over the weekend make the comment that accusations are enough and i don't happen to believe in that or agree with that that was mm. the same uh song and dance that joe mccarthy used in the late 40s early 50s mm-hmm. and a lot of you know and, and while there may not be legal liability for the <clears> people that are accused their careers are just as effectively ended as if they have gone through the whole legal process and been found guilty of some wrongdoing mm-hmm. so i have a real problem with what happened with al franken i might mm-hmm. preface that by saying i don't have to i don't have to agree with most of al franken's politics right i think he was treated very poorly and i similarly think that there was a female uh who's running for Congress, I think from the Southwest, who's mm-hmm. withdrawn mm-hmm. because of some <clears throat> charge made by, a, she said, a disgruntled employee from several years ago mm-hmm. that she'd harassed him. And there's been no proof of it at all, just his accusations. Right. Now, in all <clears throat> fairness, most of these cases are he said, she said cases. Mm-hmm. Um, it, very seldom do you have independent evidence, although once in a while we do have text messaging to look right. at. Right. But for the most part, it's 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 uh, it's a matter of whose word you're going to take, and you have to look at the surrounding circumstances, the motivations, and the evidence <clears throat> of what they were thinking and doing to determine who's more credible. And none of that is being done. Right. We've so <clears throat> so. Do you think what's been abandoned is the process by which to get to the truth? Yes. These people like Al Franken and and this congresswoman <clears throat> in uh, the Southwest and some of the others are being really essentially denied due process. Right. Right. You know, the there there appears to be some movement to get Al Franken to reconsider his resignation. I think he should. I don't think he should have resigned. I, mm-hmm. 
I mean, the, the other way to look at that is his position seems to be that whatever the merits or lack of merits in the charges against him, mm-hmm. he could no, he, I think he said he could no longer fairly represent the people of Minnesota. Right. But one mm-hmm. of the problems you have is even if you're not legally responsible mm-hmm. for some wrongdoing, you may be politically ruined by it. I mean, by, by these charges. Right. Um, and that's, again, that's what happened with Joe, Mac- with Joe McCarthy and his gang. It happened in the uh, Great Red Scare of 1919, and it happened on the railroads and the coal mines with the Molly Maguires in the <laughs> 19th century. If you okay. got accused, you were done. Right. Toast. So t- tell our mm. listeners about the Molly Maguires, because they might not be up to speed on that. It was an Irish group of miners that uh, were considered terrorists in the mines as they fought with the mine owners. Mm-hmm. They blew mines up and did things like that. Did they want to form a union? Um, they were essentially trying to form a union and I don't think they even realized it. Mm-hmm. They were trying, they were seeking a redress for what they thought were grievances uh-huh. by the mine owners against themselves. And it got to the point where if you were accused of being a Molly Maguire, you were essentially blackballed from working in the mines. Now that's a smaller world, so to speak. Right. But it's the same fundamental failure principle. of principle. Right, 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 right. And, and we see it in various areas. I mean, this past week it um it hit the judiciary mm-hmm. um and uh, we can well we'll talk about that in in just a minute um so uh, well maybe we should talk about that right now okay um so um alex kuznitsky he's a high fo- high profile federal judge um wrote many many opinions very powerful uh out at the ninth circuit in uh california and, you know, the world of law clerks, and maybe you could describe that. So a judge has a whole process of selecting law clerks, mm-hmm. uh, and they come to work for him for a year or two, depending upon the situation. It's also a route sometimes up to the United States Supreme Court clerkships. These are very prestigious positions, correct? Yes, they are. So you, but the person who determines your fate is the judge. Yes. So describe what 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 that what that atmosphere is like. Well, I was never a law clerk, but okay. I have dealt with them okay. many times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is essentially an extension of the academic world mm-hmm. that you uh, live in in law school. A lot of them have come out and practiced law for several years, then gone back and be a law clerk. Mm-hmm. And they like that a lot. It's the same issue. It's the difference between practicing law and frankly, doing it for on a commercial basis right? and doing it on a quasi-academic basis, the judges uh, do have a lot of influence on what happens to you when you're done. Mm-hmm. If the judge doesn't like you, your job prospects are minimal. Right. If the judge likes you, you have a, a good job prospects in, in a large firm or moving on to another clerkship uh, up the scale. There are three levels. There's the district court. Well, there'll be four levels. There's magistrates, district court, and they're very much the same. Right. And the Court of Appeals, which you're talking about, and mm-hmm. then the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Most of the Court of Appeals clerks have been clerks in the lower, in a district court mm-hmm. at some level. Mm-hmm. Or they come from a big, uh, prestigious law firm. Mm-hmm. But the judges, in the end, really determine to some degree what happens to their clerks, at least in the short term, when they leave their employment. Well, here it was a situation where, and this again may be the times that we're living in, because most of these events occurred some time ago, uh, but there were multiple women who accused him of uh, sexual harassment, mm-hmm. uh, pornography stuff, uh, and, uh, and a federal and formal inquiry was, was uh, launched. 
Then he retired very quickly this week. Um, so does it have to do with the times? Because back then, when those women were upset and concerned, they didn't speak out. That's true. They probably did not. And they say then that they were fearful, and that's probably true, that they might lose, you know, it's hard for a law clerk to take on a judge. That's true, too, I would think, to be honest with you. I don't really know. Right, no, but Never I mean, have been one, but I think it would be very hard for a law clerk to take or, on or judge. Or whatever the equivalent would be. I mean, you know, in, in so... But I will, it, I will say this, though. Yeah. Uh, the judge, I've dealt with the courts all my life, mm-hmm. in a number of different courts. Mm-hmm. And... Most of the courts I've been in, I think it'd be fair to say that if a clerk had a particular problem of that nature with their judge, mm-hmm. they could probably go to another judge and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Each courthouse has an administrative judge, whether it's state or federal. There's a judge who's in charge. Yeah, right. And uh, clerks have always had problems. I know some have complained, over the, not about sex harassment, mm-hmm. particular, but have complained about mistreatment. Mm-hmm. They face that. Uh, administrative judges. I think they do try to address it. Mm-hmm. They do try very hard as a group, the judges do, mm-hmm. give their clerks a fruitful and, and help, hopefully enjoyable experience, mm-hmm. professional experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and in this case, that didn't happen. I mean, they Apparently not. Because they, they, it went on for quite a while. So That's the charges anyway. And I will confess if he... But if, he's now out. I mean, yeah, he, he is he, retiring under the circumstances of duties of a federal judge and the position of a federal judge, it does give some credibility to the charges. Yes, it does. Right. And it, it also says that there's, again, whatever process should have been involved or could have been started didn't work. I mean, what happened was he retired. He didn't go through any process. Yes, it, that's true. Well, in a sense, the retirement was a process. Was the process, yes. Well, Remember, a, a, a federal judge... Uh, Article Three judge, they're called, mm-hmm. can only be removed uh, upon impeachment by the Congress. It's only right. happened a few times, very few times. Right. Um, uh, so really, it'd be very difficult, right? I think to to have driven him out of office, right? Except through the retire- the retirement process. Through the retirement process, even. But I don't right. honestly know what the charges were, other than I did hear about the he was right. showing pornography. To right. He was showing. Yes, and he would whatever. Right. But. Uh, Stuff he shouldn't be done, have been doing. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, right. Um, if you are just joining us, we are talking with employment expert uh, and lawyer Bob Mitchell on the topic of sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, so um, as, you, as you would advise, let's say, a business firm or a law firm or any other firm out there in, in the aftermath of this, uh, what would you tell them to do? What steps would you take, tell them to take? There's several, right now. There's several things. First mm-hmm. of all, they should make it clear to everybody that this kind of conduct is not going to be tolerated. When you say what kind of conduct, it's actually much simpler than people think it is. You know, you wouldn't say it to your mother. Don't say it to anybody else. You wouldn't <laughs> show it to your mother. Don't show it to anybody else. Right. That, that's at least a, a, a simplistic but somewhat basic way to begin this. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, you need to set up, make sure you have a process that, that exists, a complaint process. That someone who, who has been offended can go to. And that they know about it. That they know, well, yes, they know about it, they can go to mm-hmm. it, and it does not involve the person that they're accusing of harassing them. Mm-hmm. The worst ones are the ones I've had where they had the, they come in and say, we have a process, but they had to, the, the, the harassed person had to complain to the, to the harasser. 
I didn't go very far. You got to be able to go around them. <laughs> really? Yes. You got to be able to go around them. Real problem is when the harasser owns the company. And I've had that happen. There's nowhere to oh. go. So, but you have to have a process to deal with it. And the second well, part when you say before you leave that, when you say there's nowhere to go. If they own the company. Not either. within the company. But no, you, that's what I meant. But you could company. go, you could sue. Yes, yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. You haven't you gotten there. about okay. inside the company. Okay, go ahead. But inside the company, if the owner right, of the right. company is causing the trouble, there's not much you can do about it. Right, right, right. Um, staying within the company again, you need to have an investigatory process established. Right. First, one thing you don't do is you don't tell the alleged victim that you're going to give them complete confidentiality because you can't. Right. Because you've got to at least let the accused, got to talk to him and find out what his story is or her story is. Right. And it's best if that investigation is carried on by someone from outside of the company. Mm-hmm. That you could—that's a professional investigator, or has at least done this quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That could come in and eventually be a, seen as an impartial arbiter, and, and hope, and in the end, unfortunately, an impartial witness if it ends up in court. Mm-hmm. So you have your complaint process. You have you have you set the tone. Explain it's not going to be tolerated. You have a complaint process set up. You have an investigatory process set up. Deal with any complaints that come up, and then finally, you have to have a disciplinary process. Mm-hmm. Not every claim of sex harassment warrants firing somebody mm-hmm. some of them are misunderstandings mm-hmm. some of them are both sides being too sensitive about things mm-hmm. some of them are truly cads who should be got who should be eliminated from the workforce but mm-hmm. you have to have some steps before that for the lesser uh, offenders which could involve writing them up suspending them out pay uh, verbal reprimands mm. uh, force them to go for uh, some kind of uh training and mm-hmm. sensitivity training if you mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. I, one instance we had just a simple apology was all it was was required huh you know the, these things do go on and you have to have a a series of steps that should be thought out ahead of time at least in a rough sense that these are the options that we can go to mm-hmm. uh, rather than just immediately discharging someone mm-hmm. and then if that doesn't work none of that works you're going to end up in court no doubt about it or an agency hearing. and what happens in court well, first of all, it depends on what kind of claim you file. Mm-hmm. If you want to file a sex harassment claim under the discrimination laws, whether federal or state, you have to go to the agencies. You have to mm-hmm. start in Connecticut, the Connecticut Commission of Human Rights and Opportunities, and file a charge. Mm-hmm. You have 180 days to do that from mm-hmm. the date of, of, of whatever adverse employment action you suffered. Now, that can be living in a bad environment, a sexually mm-hmm. charged environment, so that mm-hmm. doesn't have a cutoff date. Mm-hmm. But say you get fired yourself for mm-hmm. resisting sex harassment. You have 180 days, the date of the termination to file a charge. If you don't do that, you can't go beyond. You're done. It's over. Once you file the charge, you have to leave it with the agency for a set period of time. Then you can withdraw it and take it to federal or state court. So it has to start with that agency. If that's mm-hmm. what you're going to go on now. You can mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. file claims for invasion of privacy, assault, battery if you've been touched. Mm-hmm infliction of emotional distress and so on those go straight to court right so you aren't cut off just because you when you file with the agency with the state agency is that confidential no oh no in fact when you you file that charge the state agency will the chro will then serve it on the company the Mm -hmm. employer the employment context or if it's a state employee they serve it on the agency he worked the employee Mm -hmm. works in Mm -hmm. and then that uh, the alleged harasser, or rather harasser's company employer, becomes the respondent, and they're invited to submit information to contradict the charge. Mm-hmm. 
They're also invited to meet and try to mediate the case and bring it to a conclusion, if at all possible. More like that? Right, but, it, but it's definitely not confidential. It's public. It's public. Okay. Um, if you were to sort of jump for a second, as I just did in my mind, uh, to the congressional uh, mm-hmm. area, uh, where it turned out that we learned uh, that in the past there had been these types of cases and that they, and that taxpayer money uh, was used to settle claims brought by folks against congressmen or but some members of Congress at some point. Uh, then they, they settled it and mm-hmm. they signed a confidentiality agreement and then no one knew. No one knew what happened and no one knew how to prevent it from happening again. And the taxpayer was paying and the taxpayer didn't know. Okay. Um, so how did we get there? Well, well, first of all, there are a couple of issues there. First off, you have the question whether taxpayer money should be used to settle the cases. Right. I'm not really in a position to comment on that. That's a matter of policy. Right. The government to decide. I didn't know that either, to be frank. Were you surprised? Uh, no, no, I was not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised a bunch of any Congress does its own benefit, but, but the other, the, 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 the greater issue which you raised, which has come up now is this question of confidentiality and settlement agreements, whatever cases we, you said we settle, whether they're employment cases or not, we have confidentiality agreements mm-hmm. in her sex harassment cases in particular. They're important for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. First of all, if a case is settled, Although most cases are settled, I mean, 97 point something percent of the cases filed in Connecticut courts are settled. All. all of Almost all. All, all of them, right. Well, and hardly any go to trial. That's anymore. right. And they're <clears throat> often settled because it's just too expensive to continue it mm-hmm. uh, for the defender or the plaintiff, one of the two. But if you eliminate confidentiality and the public knows about the settlements, everybody assumes the defendant's guilty if they settle. Well, it's not really true, but it is the assumption that's made. Mm-hmm. So if you, in these sex harassment cases, which are very personal to the vic- to the accused as well as to the victim, if you require them to publish the fact they've settled, they're not going to settle them. They will get tried. But the, the, the downside for the victim is that, first of all, the case doesn't settle, and whatever uh, financial remuneration or other remedies the victim uh, would, get, other, would get through a settlement or denied the victim. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the victims generally don't want to sit on a witness stand and be question about this stuff either i have done that i've cross-examined mm-hmm. sex harassment victims i've also cross-examined and accused harassers mm-hmm. and neither one's really very happy with the situation mm-hmm. but the victims i think are particularly distressed because they have to re- they have to relive the whole mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. and they don't really want to do that and they have to do it in a courtroom where the person is watching them they have to do a courtroom where the person's watching it. and the other thing that i think always pressures any witness in the courtroom is somebody's going to be believed and someone's not going to be believed. You know, mm-hmm. No trial ends in a draw. <laughs> when, whenever you try a case, there's a winner and there's a loser. And the loser generally feels pretty bad about the whole thing because part of losing, especially these cases, are is the, is the realization that everybody thought you were telling an untruth. Mm-hmm. And it's very painful uh, for a sex harassment victim who really has been victimized to go in as I said earlier, these are going to be one-on-one. He said, "See, she said," cases most mm-hmm. of the time, mm-hmm. and they're, and they're not believed, and they may be telling the truth. Uh, in fact, they often are telling the truth. And to be told 
by a fact finder that no, we don't believe it ever happened is really extremely painful for them, much more than anybody else. And similarly, if you have an accused who really didn't do it, and they're not believed, they feel you know. They're, they're, not only do they feel bad, their family tends to abandon them. They end up with you have divorces and all sorts of things arising mm-hmm. out of these cases. Mm-hmm. I had one case many years ago. That six months after the case was over, the victim and her husband were divorced, hmm. based on the evidence that came out at the trial that he had known about, and that was really sad. Yeah. Plus, her career was over too. I mean, she was done. She was toast. And I don't think she ever anticipated that when she went into the when she went in to file her charge with the administrative agency. When you talk, just so that our, our listeners understand, about filing the charges, mm-hmm. you're talking about a civil complaint. These are all civil that right, I do. Right. I don't do criminal. You don't do criminal. You but could l- do criminal. Okay, so let's talk with just a second about criminal. Okay. Okay, because <clears throat> would it change if, in fact, one of these victims filed a criminal complaint? Now, Not much. Okay, explain. Well, I had, I'll give you an example. I had a case a number of years ago. Uh, in upstate New York, in which a young woman uh, had been um, uh, raped mm-hmm. by her employer. By her employer. By her employer's manager. And they, they did. we did report it. She had reported to the police. The police arrested the guy, in fact. Okay. But I, they never prosecuted. They did not prosecute. I talked to the prosecutor. She said, there was a female prosecutor, by, by coincidence, who told me that we knew he did it. We have no doubt he did it. We can't prove a thing. So we let him go. And that's what happens in 60 to 70% of the sex assault cases. Because there's no, again, it's he said, she said, there's no evidence beyond that. And it's a, uh, and the test is beyond a reasonable doubt. And, she, and the prosecutor said, we can't, simply, simply cannot meet that standard. However, Is that still true in 2017? What? That they, that there's just, that they won't prosecute? There's a little doubt. Without I mean, penetration, our, our, it's very hard to prove these cases. Right. Because how do you prove? Right. Okay. I mean, unless, unless the guy is a complete idiot and attacks her in public. Right. 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 Again, you have a very high standard of proof. So, in other words, if you don't go the criminal route, which obviously presents all kinds of other issues, you go the civil route. Well, you do both, and the reason you do both is mm-hmm. if you don't go the if you don't bring in the police in an extreme case like I just described. Mm-hmm. First question you get mm-hmm. asked on cross examination by the defense lawyers: Did you call the police? Right. You're sitting here telling us all these terrible things happened to you. Did you call the police? No. Well, if you didn't, it, it, it diminishes your credibility in the eyes of the jury or the judge. Mm-hmm. Not the judge, but the juries. <clears throat> right. The fact that the police ended up not doing very much about it is not nearly as damaging as not having made the effort. Right. Not having made the effort. That's exactly right. Right. But the odds <clears throat> are you go to the police, not much is going to happen either. Should there be a new way to deal with this stuff? There it, really the- isn't any other way I can I mean, unfortunately, you know, one of the one of the things the public doesn't always recognize is that the Anglo-American court system is based on a on a set of rules of evidence right. that are very precise. And it's just like everybody remembers the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. a lot of people felt he was guilty, but that was all based on information they'd received through the press. Right. I did watch part of that trial all those years ago, and I remember when it was over. Before the jury came back, my prediction was he'd be let off. Right. And some of my friends who were lawyers said, why? And I said, because the evidence the jury saw didn't convict him. And I don't care about the glove. Right. Just in general, there wasn't right. enough there to convict him. They had managed to uh, confuse the DNA evidence so much that no one could rely on it. Right. I said, I wouldn't convict him based on what, I, what they saw. Right. 
the, the feelings of guilt were, were based on things that came out that were not admitted as evidence at trial because the evidence rules are meant to cleanse the information that's presented to the jury from any possible taint right. of, uh, 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 of impropriety. Right. <clears throat> and the same thing happens in these cases. Mm-hmm. You know, so these, these, when you get into court with your sex harassment case, or, if, or defending, either way, defending or mm-hmm. prosecuting, I do both. The thing you have to consider is what evidence do I have, not what do I, not what do I think happened. Mm-hmm. What can I actually put into the record and present to a jury? And a lot of times, there isn't a whole lot to present. Right, 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 right. But then at the end, so okay, so now we go into the civil end of it, mm-hmm. and the end result then is a confidentiality a confidentiality agreement. If you settle it, yeah. If you settle it, and most of these cases, you're saying ninety seven percent get settled in yes. any event across the board. Um, so we're dealing basically with a public court system and a secret result. In a sense, mm-hmm. yes. I mean, that's true in everything. All settlement agreements of whatever kind generally mm-hmm. have a confidentiality agreement. Unless, although in Connecticut, you can't do that if it's a public, if it's a, a municipality or the state. Oh, tell us, the, the, tell us about that. Well, yeah, the, the municipalities are subject to the Freedom of Information Act. Right. And you can't have, you can't have a confidentiality agreement. People do it anyway, but you really can't do it. Oh, that's interesting. We used to come in there, but they don't, they don't, they're not binding on anybody. Uh-huh. But <clears throat> in the private sector, where most of these cases take place, if you don't have the confidentiality agreement, you're not going to have a settlement. You will go to trial. So you're going to create these issues that I've discussed mm-hmm. for both the accused and the accuser of having to sit there and measure their credibility against one another. Right. In a public, very, in a very public forum. Right. So we have to live with not necessarily learning from the lawsuit. In other words, if, if everything is confidential and we, we don't understand how it plays out, and we don't understand what went into the settlement itself because it's all confidential, then mm-hmm. it, keep, it potentially keeps repeating itself. Well, it will. I mean, <laughs> that's not an invalid point. The reality is that a lot of these harassers that I've dealt with mm-hmm. are, you might call them serial harassers. Oh, okay. I and mean, they do it more than once. You know, if you have that propensity, it's just like a a child molester. They don't mm-hmm. tend to be singu- singular actors. They act in series. Mm-hmm. And when they get a chance, they mm-hmm. find a, a victim, somebody who's vulnerable that they can take advantage of. And it's true with the sex harassers. And it amazes me that, you know, you'd think that if you lost your job once and you lost, and your insurance company lost a lot of money, and you, your employer was <clears> furious and so on, et cetera, you'd learn. But they don't learn. They really don't learn, hmm. and they'll get caught again sometimes. Um, what about that, the insurance companies? Are they are they changing their position? Given what not yet, they, not that I've heard. Not that you've heard. These just what, fall what, under these fall under employment practice liability, liability insurance policy. Okay, it's just another aspect of that. Could you talk to that a little bit so a firm knows that what it does it picks up the phone? Well. Mm-hmm. A firm, general, any, any business will have right. a, a general liability policy or right. a director and officer's policies, And you can buy riders for those policies to cover employment practices issues. Certain of them, you, some, some you can't mm. cover. You can't cover mm. any labor issues with unions or whatnot, but this kind of thing you mm. can cover. Mm-hmm. This is an additional premium. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to have <clears throat> deductibles between five and $25,000, but they'll cover up to a million bucks. So some of them cover $2 million in damages. There's not much else to say. If you have a policy, the first thing, if you have insurance at all, the first thing you do is call your uh, insurance broker and submit right. the claim. Right. You may reject it, but you can submit it. Right. Now, the 
insurance company will, if they take the claim, which most of them do, they take it under what's known as a reservation of rights, which says, okay, we're going to defend it, but we may not pay it because we may hopefully come up with something that lets us off the hook. But they do provide a defense, which is actually very important. Mm-hmm. They will also drive a settlement. They'll drive a settlement. But when the sex harassment stuff comes up, there's a real problem with that because you have the accused whose reputation's at stake. You may have some issues between the insurance company and him or her uh, that uh, prevents prevents the insurance company from imposing a settlement. Uh huh. Could you give us a hypothetical example? <clears throat> well, it re- it just really depends on the company. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the companies I've dealt with over the years will not enforce an employer to settle a claim uh-huh. if there's an issue besides money at stake. I see. Now, if it's simply money, they'll, they will force a settlement. Uh-huh. But if it's an issue of, uh, of employee relations, uh, control over the workforce type of thing, mm-hmm. or in this case, I would assume uh, an employee who really feels he didn't do anything or she didn't do anything, being mm-hmm. totally disgruntled, mm-hmm. treated badly, they won't force the settlement, mm-hmm. much to their dismay, believe me. Because ordinarily, the insurance companies will settle these cases. From your purchase, watching this whole um, topic evolve in the last several months, what has surprised you the most? What has made you think in a different way or wonder? Well, nothing's made me think in a different way. Mm-hmm. The thing that I have been <clears throat> most disagreeably surprised about is this parent-ready acceptance of charges as being true, period. Mm-hmm. You know, without the fact that if three or four people claim it, it must all be true. And I've had a lot of cases where three or four people claimed that it. it turned out it wasn't true at all. <laughs> With three or four people piling on, hoping they get, frankly, hoping they get some money out of the deal. Right. Um, um, and, I, and I think the public assumption that it's all happening in every instance, obviously in some, it's clear, it has mm-hmm. happened. But the public assumption of guilt based upon nothing but an unsubstantiated charge, I find very troubling. Well, I found very shocking myself as well, particularly since many of these people are lawyers themselves. I mean, they may be in Congress, but they're also lawyers. They should know better. Well, I think they're playing the audience to some degree. I mean, they're, right, the politics of it. They're playing the politics. So the politics <clears throat> is you, know, you can be innocent of wrongdoing and politically your career is ruined anyway, or you can be guilty sometimes of wrongdoing. Many politicians who went to jail and then did fine afterwards. Right, right. That's true. They're all in Connecticut. <laughs> yes, we know those. <laughs> but, you know, but, but the political aspect of it, or the, the, uh, the, yeah, the political aspect of it, the social aspect of it, right. is, to- is somewhat separate apart from the legal aspect. However, I think it's unfortunate that the public is allowing these unvarnished accusations mm-hmm. to stand in for some actual evidence that something happened in, in, in several of these cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, let, let's just uh, talk to our listeners for a moment. If you are just joining us, we are talking with employment expert and lawyer, Bob Mitchell on the topic of sexual harassment in the workplace. So um, where do you think it might go next? This stuff. I mean, any areas in particular um, or what do you mean? Um, uh, in, in terms of, we've looked at Congress, the mm-hmm. judiciary, businesses. Where, where else where sexual harassment claims might come up that we didn't expect it? Schools. Schools. Ah. That's okay. going to be one coming. Um, ah, tell us about churches. that. Churches. Church. Oh, yeah. Well, churches we've had a little bit. So, well, I've had some of the schools, too. It's just going to grow. Uh-huh. 
So schools could be the next. So pe- <clears throat> people, so teachers or principals. Well, that's happened already. I mean, you know, but uh, I think that's it hasn't been as big to date yeah. as mm-hmm. the other things have. I think it's gonna. I don't think there, there are very many, very many sectors of our society. It's not going to happen. It's already happened in the military. Right. Or it happened in Congress. It's happened in the state government. Right. We have uh, California State Senate, I think it is, doing an investigation of everybody in the state Senate. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's like hunting communists in the, I said in the 1950s. It's like what? Hunting communists in 1950. <laughs> hunting communists in the 1950s. I love it. <laughs> That's really what it was. And I think, I think it'll burn itself out the same way. The, actually, the, the unfortunate long-term, mid, mid-term impact may be a growing hesitancy mm-hmm. on the part of at least some of the men in these in business or, or politics or whatever to really meet with young women at all to meet to meet with young women at all in a private setting huh. for lunch for dinner and right. do it right right and that's going to have a inhibiting impact on the women's careers exactly right i hadn't thought of that that's interesting yeah the the um let's, started. Let's, let's oh tell us about that it's already oh, we've had people tell us we're just not i'm not going to go out with them. i'm not going to no, you're not going to take me to lunch. You're not taking, I'm not taking her to lunch. You're not taking her to lunch. That's right. I'm not going to interview her by myself. I want somebody there. You are already thinking that? I've had a number of people say that. Really? Oh, yes. It's already happened. And I've heard no, and a number of women are, are indicated they're very upset about it. It's been damn damn right, because frankly, uh, that has an impact. What well, has? I mean, women have spent years getting in, involved to con- in, invited to country club golf games. Right and now they're being told, "No, I'm not going to play golf with you. I won't let you come. With, I'm not going to do anything with you, because you might turn on me, and I can't be sure whether you're going to or not." Right, and also golf takes you know four hours. That's a long time. And it's out in the woods, and it's out know, in the woods, and it's on the fields, and then you would go back to the nineteenth hole, and you have a little. There's alcohol what, involved, right? There's alcohol involved. That's right, and a lot of men are taking this position partially because of business, and partially because their families are at stake. Okay, so that's the new, that's an, an evolving... It seems to be evolving slightly. ...societal problem. problem. Now, will, will it get out of hand? I don't know. I tend to doubt it, but... Um, well, you can always ask another person to come with you. That's right, and but, I think that's what but, happen. but that And that will happen, but that doesn't necessarily get down to the nitty-gritty of my next career step. I mean, that, you might not want to discuss that in front of a, a third party. There will be some, I think there will be some inhibitions right. about doing those things, about... Some restrictions, if you will, some some negative impact. Right. So there'll be some sort of social change. Well, for example, I think there'll be there may be less men willing to mentor young women in business or government, mm-hmm. whatever, military, whatever, mm-hmm. simply because you never know. Right. And you never know can lead to consequences. You never know can lead to consequences, and not mentoring them never leads to consequences. Right. Right. They just don't get mentored. They just don't get mentored. Now, how far is it going to go? I don't know. I think it'll pass very quickly. I mean, I think this whole thing's going to pass. You think it'll pass? In a okay. couple of years. Uh-huh. A couple of years. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it passes in a couple of years. After that, I won't care anyway. Right, right. Um, well, maybe one of the things is that uh, these different areas, the different, we have to go back to what you were originally saying about mm-hmm. what is the process to take when you're first starting out, Right. I mean, have have certain rules in place, right? I think that everybody needs to understand that part of what's happened is we had a much looser, if you will, uh, approach to to sex in mm-hmm. business 
mm-hmm. 50 years ago. You know, like the, with the TV show, the Mad Men, they call them, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You can't do that anymore. And it's gonna, we're becoming much more Victorian or more Puritan Victorian. in our view of how we're, we're going to conduct intergender relationships. And that's just going to have to be the way it is. And if people accept that and that becomes the norm, then this will probably So we're going back to the Victorian days. I think that's what's coming. I really do. It runs in cycles, you know. Right, right, right. The Puritans were very Victorian, if you will. Of course. And then the uh, Enlightenment came, and uh, things got a little looser until, the, until after the Napoleonic Wars, and the, we, then the Victorians really became, were, were the Victorians. Right. And it started loosening up again in the 1920s. Damn right. <laughs> it's been loosening up <laughs> until now. And now I think it's going to go back again. And maybe it's like every other social change. Right. It's a pendulum back and forth. Right. Right, right, yeah. But, we, of course, we do live in the world of the Internet, and that might have an impact. Oh, yeah, there are always idiots out there that can manage. I mean, it amazes me how many men over the years I've seen throw their careers away mm-hmm. pursuing this stuff. You just you wonder why you do that. You think, you know, you think you don't, you don't cause problems where you live, so to speak, where you eat, mm-hmm. where you... Mm-hmm. But they do, and they they want. They may think that they're entitled. Well, I don't. I don't know what it is. I've never been able to. I will say this though: several investigations I've done, where I, my partner talks, his female talks to women. I talk to men, and we finally get the guy down, and we get him. We've had them several of them confess. Yeah, I did it. The next thing they say is, "Is my wife going to find out?" Well, you should have thought of that. I mean, geez. Yeah, but they don't think that way. No, they don't think that way. They aren't thinking at all. Correct. Well, they're thinking, but not with... Yes, that's what my wife says. <laughs> I'm not going to say the rest no, of it. No, don't say the rest of it. <laughs> but I think that the society got relaxed, especially after the 1960s. It got very relaxed about these things, mm-hmm. and it's now headed back the other way. Right. I don't know how else to put it. I right. could be dead wrong. It's just what I've sort of observed over the years. Right, right. Well, no, I think your insight is... Uh, extremely valuable here because you know it's not valuable but hope hope i'm right in a way they're tired of listening to it you're tired of listening to it yeah i listen on both sides right whining and crying about what they did and why they didn't do it why why did she turn on me well you dope you know (laughs) right right it it almost seems as if they need a social correctness i mean a social corrective yes to to sort of rethink you know what what how you deal with these things when you start out at age 14. I mean, you have to just kind of say, okay, how am I supposed to behave? Yeah, well, yeah, think how things have changed at the colleges with respect to drinking now. Oh, God, yes. When I, was, when I went to college, my college was a dry campus till halfway through that we managed to make it a wet campus. Mm. We were all thrilled. Now that same college, about five or six, seven, eight years ago, voted itself dry. I was absolutely stunned. I can't right. imagine what going through college would be like. Right, because right. I mean, the consequences are enormous when it's a wet college. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the reason they did it was a wet college, twenty-five miles away, and they were having terrible auto accidents. Right. Well, really, why they did it? Yeah. And then uh, now, why they voted to go back the other way? I have no idea because I wasn't involved in that. Right. Right. Sixty years old. Right. Right. Yeah. No. On every level, very fascinating. Well, I have to say, uh, this, uh, it looks like our time, time is up. It goes really fast when the topics are so interesting. Uh, we want to thank Bob Mitchell for joining us in our New Haven studio. Thank you very much. 
to, for a fascinating conversation and one that I think is just sort of getting started. It is. And we will have to come have you back and discuss it as it gets more complicated or less complicated, depending upon how things go. Uh, we haven't even talked about what goes on in law firms, but we leave that for another topic. Um, so to our listeners, you can go to the newhavenindependent.org website to get a podcast of this broadcast and to listen to the wide variety of shows that the station puts on every day. And you can also go to the New Haven Independent Facebook for a video of today's program. Thank you so much, Bob. It's been most enjoyable. Thank you very much.